to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks, y'all. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I want to, in case you missed it, um, I want to highlight a really cool, innovative ministry that's been happening over the last year. Um, our member at this service, uh, Kate Thacker, received a very cool recognition for his the Roswell Music Jam. It received the 2022 Jam of the Year Award from the Southeastern Bluegrass Association. How cool is that? Meets here at the church. Yeah, go. Yeah, so that's uh, really awesome. If, if you know someone who wants to play bluegrass, they meet down in the youth wing. I think every Tuesday night around 7 o'clock, you can check the church website. It's a really cool event. Well, last week, we kicked off the year looking at the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. The first chapter, we saw the orderly, creative account of God's kind of unfolding of creation. And then in Genesis 2, we saw the second creation story where we see the capstone of creation, the creation of humanity. And today we're going to look at chapter 3, which is going to tell us the story of Adam and Eve. And so I want to open our hearts and our minds for the word of the Lord. And I've, can you put it up there? I've lost my, I've lost the Bible. This is not, I know you thought I had it memorized. Uh, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 15. Let's listen for the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have have done this. Cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go. 
and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you by your spirit might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, that you might shine your light into our lives. Lord, that we might be able to tell the truth about ourselves, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that means we can respond to your grace revealed in Jesus Christ. So I pray that you might open our ears, our hearts, and our minds, not to my word, but to your word, that you might speak afresh to us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Courtney and I have a friend who had this infamous dating relationship with a guy who is not a friend of ours. And they'd been dating for a few months, and we were kind of circumspect about the whole relationship, but, you know, we were trying to be good friends and be supportive. And so one night, they go on a date. They go to movie and dinner. And she came home, and we asked, how'd it go? She says, went well. Tonight, I told him I loved him. Wow. We're like, that's... That's awesome. That's so great. She said, not really. I said, why? Now, you know that expressing and confessing your love for someone else is very vulnerable. It's risky to tell somebody you love them. That kind of romantic you know, relationship. And so she said, I love you. She says, well, I said, I love you. And he responded, and listen closely to this. He said, and remember, she said, I love you. And he says, I love myself when I'm with you. Yeah. Who says that? I love myself when I'm with you. And I hate to say it, that kind of defined the rest of their relationship. I love myself when I'm with you. And that's when we, we said or said, that is the moment things began to go wrong. That's when we knew. All of us have these moments in our lives, in our friends' lives, in the lives we see out in the world. There's a moment when things begin to go wrong. And often it happens before we ever notice it. The man who gets caught running a Ponzi scheme Things went wrong before the FBI shows up at his door. The married couple who gets divorced, things went wrong long before the divorce papers are signed. The person that is fired from their job, things went wrong long before they received the pink slip. We cut corners. We tell white lies. We cheat in ways that we think we will not get caught. That is the human condition. And it's with those first small choices that the seeds of our eventual demise are planted. There's a moment when we make decisions, and that's when things begin to go wrong. And Genesis 3 tells us a story about when things began to go wrong in creation. See, in the opening chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 tells us this beautiful story of the unfolding of creation day by day, and God calls it good, and at the very end, he says it's very good. 
And then in Genesis 2, we see the creation of humanity as the capstone of creation. These two beautiful stories about the goodness of God's world. And then Genesis 3 happens. And we see the cracking of creation. It's what a lot of theologians call the fall. It's what C.S. Lewis called the one true myth. Karl Barth called it a saga. Other commentators call it a history-like narrative. They're highlighting the fact that where some philosophies and theologies get very abstract about sin, about suffering, about evil, the Bible tells a story. It tells a narrative. It's a story at the beginning of history that will impact all future generations. It's when things begin to go wrong. That's why we call it an original sin. You see the disobedience of the first humans and how it will impact everyone else. Some people ask, why did God allow for the possibility for things to go wrong? I think that's a really good question. Why would God do this? Well, you remember last week we talked about kind of the difference between science and theology. We talked about science being great at describing things, but theology is more about explaining them. It answers questions of who, how, and why. We saw in Scripture the who is of creation is that God the triune God of grace created the world. How? By speaking, by the power of God's creative word, speaking it into existence. Why? Well, for love and freedom. Love and freedom. You see, love to actually be love cannot be coerced or coercive. It must be freely given. But because of that freedom, it means that we can misuse that freedom. That's what freedom means. And Adam and Eve misuse the freedom that God has given them. God tells them not to eat of the tree. And they do. And this story has stood the test of times for thousands of years. Why? Because it's not really a story about Adam and Eve. It's a story about us. We are Adam and Eve. Their story is our story. We have all misused the freedom God has given us. This is part of the human condition. This is why we use the word sin, misusing our freedom. And sin is both inescapable and inexplicable. Even though we know better, we misuse our freedom. As the Apostle Paul wrote, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. Everyone knows this reality. It's the human condition. The theologian Reinhold Niebuhr was famous for saying, original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. We all know we are born into a broken world. We begin learning this, we begin learning this from an early age. Now, I don't know if you all have noticed this, but have you noticed how dark our nursery rhymes are? Oh, it's like harrowing. I mean, listen to this. I mean, an old classic like Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Sorry, kids. It's a broken world. How about Jack and Jill went up the hill? Listen to this one. Jack and Jill went up the hill. Okay, things are looking good. To fetch a pail of water. Okay. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. 
Sorry, Johnny. It's a broken world. Oh, and the worst is this. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater. I mean, if you listen to this. I mean, this guy's a total narcissistic psychopath. <laughs> Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater. Had a wife but couldn't keep her. He put her in a pumpkin shell, and there he kept her very well. Run. <laughs> Kids, this is not how you're supposed to have a relationship, but this is the world we're born into. It's a cracked creation. It's the breaking of creation. It's inescapable. You can't escape it. We're all a part of it. We all contribute it in our own ways. Sin is inescapable, but it's also inexplicable. Now, we've kind of launched into the moral development. Our son's going to be four tomorrow. And that's kind of where we're at. And he'll do something that he knows he's not supposed to do. And I'll say, why did you? I never yell at my children. But if I was going to, this is how I'd sound. Why did you do that? And he goes, I don't know. And then I'll yell out, why? I, I don't know. And you know what, friends? Some of us never get older than four years old, right? Sometimes we don't know. It's inexplicable. Well, my four-year-old's got good company. One of the great theologians of Christian history was Augustine of Hippo. He was a, like a famous orator in the fourth century. He was like a, like a modern-day rock star. And then he leaves his speaking business and he goes to become a theologian and a bishop. And at the end of his life, he writes this magisterial book called Confessions. It's really the first autobiography we have in our tradition. And Augustine writes about it, and he's an older man at this point. He's looking back at his life and he's analyzing it. And he looks back to this time when he was a young boy, and he and his pals went over to a neighboring vineyard, and there were all these pear trees there. And he, he goes to great lengths to say, I had pear trees at my own home. We had our own pear trees. But this neighboring vineyard had pear trees. And the pears, they were average. They didn't look especially delicious. He didn't exactly want them. But he finds himself taking a pear from his neighbor's tree and biting into it. And as an older man, he asks himself, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And he, he concludes with these words by saying, he derived pleasure from the deed simply because it was forbidden. He derived pleasure from the deed simply because it's forbidden. There's a reason People call Augustine's Confessions the autobiography of the Western soul. There's a lot of sin out there that's inexplicable, that we don't know why. And that's just the absurdity of misusing our freedom. Why? Because sin is seductive. Look at what Genesis says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, all good things... No, they're all good. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he also ate. Even though God had instructed them not to eat from the tree, 
They found it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. All good things, but good things can be misused. And by misusing them, we turn them evil. Sin is seductive in that way. It prevents us from recognizing and remembering what we really care about. Augustine was also famous for saying, sin contains the seed of its own punishment. One of the inheritors of the Augustinian tradition was the philosopher Kenny Chesney. In his song, You and Tequila. (laughs) He says, it's always your favorite sin that does you in. It's always your favorite sin that does you in. See, the tree, it's, it's good for food, it's a delight to the eyes, but they misuse it. See, the apparent enjoyment they're going to have conceals, conceals what's at the heart of it. By misusing it, it corrupts it. Sin has this corrosive effect on our lives. So this is why adulterers, It starts off really fun, but then in the end, you've got broken marriage, a broken relationship. People that like to gossip and lie, oh, they're very taining at cocktail parties, but pretty soon if you continue down that path, you will have no friends. Sin contains the seed of its own punishment. It'll ruin the thing you really care about. And Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree. And yes, they gain new knowledge, but it comes alongside the dark side of that knowledge, which is shame. So is it, is it sin all the way down? Are we stuck as sinners? Is there any hope? Now every Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend, I like to quote from King, and I like to take something besides the I Have a Dream speech or the letter from Birmingham Jail, if you haven't read those, do that. But sometimes we miss the fact of what a brilliant theologian and pastor he was. When he was serving a church in Montgomery, Alabama, he preached a sermon called Man's Sin and God's Grace. And I want you to listen to this. He says, that's something of the beauty of the Christian faith, that it says that in the midst of man's tragic predicament, in the midst of his awful inclination towards sin, God has come into the picture and has done something about it. That's the beauty of our faith. It says that standing over against the tragic dimensions of man's sin is the glorious dimensions of God's grace. Where sin abounded, grace abounded even more exceedingly. That's the Christian faith. On the one hand, it is the most pessimistic religion in the world. For it recognizes the tragic and awful dimensions of man's sin. But on the other hand, it is the most optimistic religion in the world. For it recognizes the heightening dimensions of God's grace and how God's grace can come in and pick us up. So that over against man's sin stands God's grace. Christianity, therefore, becomes, and I love this, becomes the greatest pessimistic, optimistic religion in the world. It's a combination of a pessimistic optimism. It sees over against man's sinfulness, man's tragic state. The graciousness of God's mercy and his love and his forgiving power, God's grace stands over man's sin. So right there, he's very abstract. But like any good preacher, he's got to show where it gets concrete. How is it lived out on the ground? And he goes on, he says, I talked with a young lady some two or three years ago who had made a tragic mistake in life. She felt that her life was now bare and meaningless. 
Life had no meaning. Her family was disappointed with her. Friends were disappointed. And relatives were disappointed. Everybody was disappointed. And she was ashamed to face life. Ashamed to stand up before anybody because of this great mistake. Then I looked at her, having known her for a number of years, and I said to her first, here's one thing you've got to do. You've got to forget about this mistake that you made back here. Don't get bogged down in the past. You've got to look forward to the future now. You've got to outlive it. And let this sense of guilt you have serve as only an impetus for you to keep going and outlive and renew your experiences. And then I said to her, try this. I know it sounds kind of vague and old-timey for a young person to say this to another young person. Remember, King died at the age of 39. He says, but you know, one day, just try this. Just get off to yourself and close all the doors and get off in some privacy and just sit there and meditate on this thing and then decide to lay your life bare before the Almighty God. Just decide to turn it over to him and decide that you have to come to the limit, that you can't solve this thing and just leave it to God. And then he goes on. I love this part. He says, I saw that young lady two days ago in Atlanta. I was talking to her about this very same thing And here was a new person. She's a new young lady now who lives all the glory of life, very happy, a very happy family relationship, having forgotten about this past experience. And she said, somehow it just passed away. And I don't even think about it too much now. It doesn't cross my mind hardly. Oh, I could look at her, King says, and say to myself, that was the grace of God. That's what the grace of God does. It gives us something that we so desperately need to live this difficult and often trying experience of human life. Even after the story of Adam and Eve, we know what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we know that there's more grace in God than sin in us. And so if this The story of Adam and Eve is a story of when things began to go wrong. Well, the story of Jesus is a story of when things began to go right. And that's the good news for all of us. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I pray for for us that might be riddled in sin and guilt and shame, God, that we might experience your grace and that grace might set us free, free to live in response to your love and light revealed in Jesus Christ. We thank you that Adam and Eve's story is not the final word, but you and your grace revealed in Jesus Christ are. We thank you that there's more grace in God than sin in us. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.